0: Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. Thank you for the folks up here who lost sleep. You can see where we're gonna do this in a way, all the various gifts, whether it's leadership or hospitality or teaching or prophecy. We wanna do it in a very natural way. Right? So we're gonna talk about that a little bit this morning. Before we do, though. This is part of being a community, and we have a gift that God has given us called community, and we want to treasure it and prize it. And I mentioned last week that we're in a transition time as our community, and so it's never been more important to connect with a small group. We have 28 small groups, and you can get information on those on the website, and also along with that handout that I had there are handouts on groups giving information. We're getting ready to launch some more. We're gonna take a break. They usually go about 11 or 12 weeks and then we take a little break so our leaders don't burn out and then we'll relaunch some and Connie and Amanda and I will be talking more about that in the coming weeks. It is the place really for us to form new friendships, to discover and use our gifts and to strengthen as a spiritual family. So, 1 Corinthians 14 here. We've been in an eternal series on 1 Corinthians. And we've got today, we've got Youth Sunday next week, and then we'll come back and wrap up with 1 Corinthians 15 in a couple of weeks. But what we've been doing in 1 Corinthians 14 is laying a foundation. And our leadership team thought that this would be a great letter to help establish some foundations for the future because we want to be people of the scriptures, but we also want to go for it, as Paul says, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna make clear that as we look at this this morning, the more guidelines and the more practical wisdom we have, it actually enhances the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not a free-for-all, and we're gonna look at that. Paul's gonna address Corinth, and they really had a free-for-all going. The place was crazy, and they were practicing the gifts without an eye to the scriptures and without an eye to practical wisdom. So we're going to address that, but I just want to say that it doesn't control or diminish anything. It actually does the opposite. If you would put that image up there of the Autobahn, I was thinking about this this week. And the Autobahn in Germany, it's about 8,000 miles of roadway, And it is so effectively managed that their wrecks are about half of what we have here and their fatalities are about half of what we have here. But in order for the German people to drive on the Autobahn, there's great training. And it's rigorous. It's not, you know, do a few weeks of driver's ed and don't crash into someone. I mean, it is rigorous training. And so I think that we're seeing the same thing. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is giving very specific directions so that we can drive on the Autobahn. And you know on the Autobahn, it is not a one lane, get in line with you know, absolute craziness. It, it Look, it's four or five lanes here. And so if we are giving these kinds of guidelines, this kind of protocol, then we can actually go places, and we can go places together. It creates great freedom. So rather than the opposite of controlling and turning it down a little bit, we actually believe that if we'll talk about the scriptures and practice it, the Lord will do more among us. Amen? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. Last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, the way of love, and we saw Paul talking about the gifts. He had talked about them in 1 Corinthians 12. Mike addressed that. And then sandwiched in between 12 and 14 is this passage about love. And so Paul is saying God's manifest presence, including the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is love. And so as we prophesy, as we pray in tongues, as we practice the gifts, the message is the love of the Father. That's what we're all about. And so Paul brought that to their attention and to our attention in 1 Corinthians 13. So today, we're going to look at 14, prophecy, tongues, and orderly worship. And the overarching goal that Paul is doing here for the Corinthian church is he's urging them to be intelligible and orderly, to do things, to practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a way that's understandable and accessible, and to do it in a way that's not crazy town. Because we'll see in a few minutes here at Corinth, much of the time, it was crazy town. People praying in tongues over each other, interrupting. They would have people prophesying. And so Paul is saying, wait, wait, wait. I want you to continue to do this, but do it in a way that's understandable and orderly. So let's look, dive right into the text here, 14.1 Paul says this, and it really lays the, the tenor for the whole passage. And Paul says, pursue love and strive for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially that you may prophesy. So Paul is reminding them again that love is the aim. Love is the goal. Love is the soil from which the spiritual gifts spring. If you want the spiritual gifts operating, Paul is saying, get love into the context. Let the Lord transform you so that everything you're doing is promoting love. A second thing Paul does, and this is really the heart of the whole passage in 14, 1 to 25. We're not going to read it. I'm going to read a section and then make some comments and then give some illustrations. But in 14, 2 to 25, Paul is asking the church, is what you're doing intelligible? Is it understandable? And he addresses, let's look at a one to five and we'll talk about tongues first and we'll talk about prophecy next. Verses one through five, Paul, and I'm gonna read one again and then we'll read through verse five. Pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. For nobody understands them since they are speaking mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Now I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So Paul is taking these gifts, and we've seen throughout the letter, this church loves the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They don't really like holiness and purity of heart, so Paul has had to remind them of that, and they think that they've matured beyond love, and that they are living some kind of heavenly existence, and really what matters more to them is spiritual gifts and living in this spiritual state, and Paul says, no, no, no. That's not how it works. But Paul is explaining them. He's giving some really rudimentary explanation here on what tongues is doing. And he's saying tongues is wonderful, but really it edifies yourself. And what I'm challenging you to do, church at Corinth, he says, is to think about edifying other people. And we'll see that the answer for him is not to turn the spigot off to not turn off tongues, to not forbid it, but to have them practice it in a way that builds up other people. By the way, I want to plug a book. Sam Storms has a new book out called The Language of Heaven, and I think it's probably one of the best books that I've read on tongues yet. So write that down, Sam Storms' Language of Heaven. If you're interested in a biblical explanation of what tongues is and what it isn't, it is worth Reading, He takes 30 questions and unpacks many of these things. What he's addressing here is one expression of tongues. It's a corporate expression of tongues, but there are others in the New Testament. If you had to think of another primary place where the gift of tongues is operating, where is it? Acts chapter 2, that's exactly right. So we get to see in Acts chapter 2 something, there's lots of overlap here between what Paul is talking about here, but also in Acts 2, it's almost a missional expression of the gift of tongues. And so we see in Acts 2 that the people, the power of the Holy Spirit is resting on them and they are declaring the mighty deeds of God and people get to hear it. And they're hearing it in their own language. And scholars have puzzled over this. We don't know if the miracle was in the speaking or if it was in the hearing. We don't know. But there were people from all over the world gathered for Passover for uh, the I'm sorry, the harvest there, and the celebration of Pentecost. and people were hearing the declaration of the mighty deeds of God. And the people who were speaking it didn't know what was happening. Now, some of you think that is really odd. We have some examples of this. Um, There's a scholar named Craig Keener, and he has written in his commentary on Acts chapter 2, he has two dozen examples of this that he has researched, and he's flown all over the world, and he's found two dozen situations where the very exact same thing happened. And he's researched it and documented it. And you could Google that and look that. Craig Keener, K-E-E-N-E-R. He's a scholar who uh, has written the best commentary on Acts. But we actually have an example of this among us. Connie Willems was telling me that her Anglican church, they did a ministry trip to Rwanda. And there was someone, hopefully I get this right as you're sitting there, Connie, someone was praying for someone in Rwanda, and there was someone who heard what was being prayed, and the person who was speaking did not speak the local language at all, and yet this local person heard this person praying in the local language about livestock and blessing, bringing the blessing of God. Lord, would you bless our livestock, would you bless? And the person was blown away. So I think oftentimes the gift of tongues may operate in a missional way that we're not even aware of. About five weeks ago in our leadership team meeting, Mike, I hope this is okay, I didn't ask you, we were speaking in tongues together. And we were praying and pleading with the Lord and doing a little bit of Romans eight, letting the Lord pray through us. And Mike began to speak in what sounded like Mandarin. I almost recorded it. I almost took my phone out and recorded it so that we could have someone who speaks Chinese listen to it. It was startling. It's actually the first time I've heard anything like that. I don't know what's going on. There's something mysterious in that moment of prayer. The Lord is transcending the mind and praying through Mike. You can write this down, look at it later. Some people would say that Romans 8 actually is another expression of the gift of tongues. We know that it's Holy Spirit-inspired prayer in Romans 8, that the Spirit is praying according to the will of God for the saints of God through a person, and it might even be with groaning. It's something that transcends our cognitive reasoning. Jackie Pullinger is someone who we've talked about before. She was a missionary in Hong Kong, and the gift of tongues operated in her ministry in an absolutely vital way. I had never really heard anything quite like this. It wasn't the gift of tongues in a corporate context. It wasn't necessarily something in a private devotional language. Jackie Pullinger was in the heart of opium dens, and she was seeing the Lord save opium addicts. They would receive Jesus, and then Jackie and her team would say, Lord, fill them with the Holy Spirit, give them the gift of tongues. Most of the time they received it, they would begin to pray in tongues, and they were set free from drug addiction. So much so that the local government said, what are you doing? We've never seen such success with a breaking of drug addiction. And she said, are you sure you want me to tell you? We're telling them about Jesus. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. We're teaching them how to connect with God and they pray in tongues as much as they possibly can. And it's doing something to break bondages in their lives and to connect them with God. So I want us to not try to fully wrap our minds around what the gift of tongues is in just a few minutes. These are a few biblical examples, but it is a gift, and it's highly misunderstood, isn't it? I'm sure that we could share all kinds of stories where it's been abused, misunderstood, laid out over people, and, and it's said something. If you're not speaking in tongues, well, you're a second-class Christian. That is unbiblical. That's unbiblical. What we're talking about here is a gift from God, a grace that Paul says not to forbid, to seek it. And this morning, I just want to invite all of us into pursuing all the spiritual gifts according to the way that they're practiced in the scriptures. Sound good? So Paul is talking about this, and he's talking about doing it in a way that's respectful of one another. Paul is contrasting here and speaking about tongues and he's also speaking about prophecy. So if you look at verses 1, 3, and 4 in particular, Paul is saying, don't give up speaking in tongues, this heavenly language that the Lord gives you, but desire even more to prophesy. Why would Paul say that? Because prophecy was given in the local vernacular so this church here was gathered in the first century and so they were prophesying in the greek language and paul is saying it's just a pragmatic way of approaching the gifts it's easier for people to hear if you're speaking in their language so why don't you dial back a little bit on everyone coming together and speaking in a heavenly language and i want you to speak prophetically to one another, and he introduces this word that he actually says nearly 10 times in this passage. He talks about building up the church and building up one another. And he says, it is good to have yourself built up, strengthened, fortified through praying in tongues in your devotional prayer language, but think about taking that into another place. Let the Lord speak through you to someone else to encourage and edify And build them up. So he's adjusting their thinking here. In verses 6 through 12, we're not going to look at it. But I'll just summarize what Paul is arguing here. Because he loves word pictures. Is he gives some word pictures about being intelligible or understandable. So he talks about musical instruments. And he says, can you imagine, Corinthians, if I gave you a harp or a flute. And you just blew in it. Didn't operate it correctly, or if you took the harp and just started jamming your fingers across it. I've seen some kids come up here on Sunday after church and grab a guitar and start doing, you know, this on it. Or maybe you've seen, you know, those recorders in elementary school or middle school. You give a recorder to a five year old, it's awful. <laughs> it's just shrill, high pitch noise. And so what Paul is saying here is that the spiritual gifts, if they're not done carefully, it's like a five-year-old with that recorder blaring in the assembly. And it's problematic, and it's shrill. So let's do this thoughtfully, Paul is saying. He even says if you don't get those two analogies, it's also like a foreign language. And for us, this would be, some of you, if Walked into a foreign film without subtitles before. You're lost. Paul is saying, when we're gathered together, don't just blurt out tongues. It's confusing to people. It's like being in a foreign film. Amanda made the point as we were talking about this passage it says something about the spiritual gifts being like instruments. How do you learn to play an instrument? Does it happen overnight? Someone lay hands on you and say, Brad, you know, walks up and says, hey, be a guitar player. It doesn't work that way, does it? It requires work and practice and feedback and coaching. So the same is true here with the spiritual gifts. We have to practice. We have to learn how to play the flute. We have to learn how to play the guitar skillfully. And thankfully, we give grace to one another, including those people that were standing up here a few minutes ago. We're pulling for them. We're wanting them to grow in the use of the gifts. Let's look at 13 through 19, and Paul is going to talk about why being understandable is so important both for believers and unbelievers. Let's read 13 through 19. Paul says this. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, My spirit prays, but my mind is unproductive. What should I do then? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray with the mind also. I will sing praise with the spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you say a blessing with the spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving? Since the outsider does not know what you are saying. You see how practical this is? Then he says at verse 17, for you may give thanks well enough, but the other person is not built up. They're not edified. Look what he says at verse 18. This is astonishing. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul is saying here, you are crazy about speaking in tongues, but you know what? I do it more than you. I think he meant that literally. I think Paul prayed in tongues as much as he possibly could. He was communing with God by this mysterious thing called tongues, and it did something in his inner man. It strengthened him. It gave him power. It kept him in this posture of prayer. And as I read that this week, I was trying in a fresh way to pray in tongues as much as possible as I was preparing this message to myself and saying, Lord, would you teach me about this? Would you instruct me? I want to be childlike. I want to learn to use this gift in new ways. And I was praying for you this week that you would also long for the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. For those of you that this is a little strange to, or maybe you've been burned by the way that they've been done in the past, this is a fresh opportunity to, to start anew. Here at our Lord's, we are going to go for this. We're going to do it in a way that's thoughtful and biblical. This passage is baffling to me. I don't know about you, but the whole idea of praying in a way that transcends our cognitive mind. Gordon Fee says it's difficult, he's a commentator on 1 Corinthians, it's difficult for some modern intellectuals to take Paul at his word here. That the Holy Spirit can actually inspire prayer that transcends the cortex of the brain. I've got to understand it. If I don't and I can't control it, it's not God. Is that what Paul is saying here? No. Paul is saying, church, learn to use this gift. Let the Holy Spirit give you language in prayer. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you. Trust Jesus is a better leader than you are follower. Jesus says in what Luke 11, ask for the Holy Spirit and the Lord will give you the Holy Spirit. He won't give you a snake. He won't give you a rock. Thankfully, the Lord can help us in all of this. I I heard a story when I was teaching at Wesleyan several years ago, and I would teach church history, and sometimes the students would tune out. By the time we got to the modern period, they were like, oh my gosh, when are we done? Is the semester over? And I would use this particular video by a neurologist at New York University. A secular Jewish man who had no real motive to prove what he was doing, but he actually took various people and would attach them to neurological equipment and devices, and he would monitor their brain activity while they did different things. So he had some monks who were meditating. He had some folks who were doing other forms of prayer, and he had some people I got to see the video of this, and they would walk around the room and pray in tongues and pray and worship, and he was monitoring their brain activity, and he said, "I cannot explain what is happening, but there are certain activities firing off in their brain that are health enhancing and mind opening and expanding." He said, "This is what I'm devoting my research to. Absolutely fascinating to see that." A gift of the Holy Spirit can't be explained away or can't be fully analyzed under the microscope. I think God knows what he's doing. He invites us into rich places of prayer. At verses 23 and 25, we get to see why Paul is telling them, don't just gather together, church, and everyone pray in tongues because... That will impact outsiders. Let's look at what he says then. At verses 23 through 25, Paul says, If the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if everyone prophesies an unbeliever or outsider who enters is reproved by all and called to account by all. After the secrets of the unbeliever's heart are disclosed, that person will bow down before God and worship him, declaring God is really among you. So very practical here. You can see Paul is saying desire to speak prophetically because when you do that, when the Lord begins to give messages that are for the the corporate gathering or for individuals to encourage and build up, outsiders can understand that more clearly. Now, it may be odd to them, just like this morning. There may be some visitors, some friends, some family, and they say, I've never seen that. That is really odd. It's peculiar. But nonetheless, it's understandable. If we had everyone gather together, had a large group of people, and they're belting out in tongues, their personal prayer language, people would probably say, they're nuts And that's what Paul is saying here. The Corinthians were gathering together, shouting in tongues, speaking over one another, being selfish about it. And outsiders were coming. Probably family members, friends, relatives were coming. And they are saying, these people are cuckoo. So Paul is trying to show the church how to not be cuckoo. Think about, too, I've mentioned before. In ancient Corinth, the people were used to going to particular temples, and people were in a frenzy. Part of their worship service was frenzied, ecstatic behavior. So they would have temple prostitutes and temple prophets and prophetesses, and when people would show up, these people would go into a mad state of mind and start declaring things, and Paul says, the church doesn't operate that way. We'll see in a minute, Paul says the church is a place of order. It's a place of respecting one another. This is astounding what Paul says. If the church is operating in this way and the gift of prophecy is happening, what happens with outsiders? Verses 24 and 25. What's communicated? God is really among you. The secrets of hearts are laid bare. They're opened up. Just like this morning here, these are more encouraging words, but the day is coming when the Lord is going to step up the prophetic gift in some ways. Here. And people will come and visit, and the secrets of their heart will be laid open because God loves people. And it's God saying to them, I see you, I know you, I love you. And so the deep probing work of God happens through prophetic ministry. I've shared this story before, but thinking of an example of this happening in the gathered church context, had the opportunity to go to Turkey. So I got to see it in a missional setting where people had, this was completely foreign to them. And we were gathered together, about 60 of us, Turkish Christians, and a half dozen from America had come and we were Worshipping together and praying and doing what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 14 and some friends invited some friends and so a group of four came into the back of the room All wearing black Looking pretty intimidating black leather holding their motorcycle helmets and I thought ah who's crashed this party? Who is here? And of course, that's who the Lord began to highlight. The ministry team came up at the end of worship, the end of the sermon, and the Lord began to give prophetic words for these four young Turks. And the power of God hit them. And one of the young men named Hakan, the secrets of his heart got laid open in front of those 60 people. He had no explanation. The Holy Spirit probed and plowed his heart there and changed his life and told him things that he had not told anyone in that room. And that day he gave his life to Jesus, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, had some demons cast out of him, became a new man, and continues to this day to be a powerful evangelist and church planter in Turkey. So my friends, we want the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating among us, do we not? Do you want this? I want this. We've been talking about being a church where things happen that only God can do. And we want to have great groups and we want to have solid worship and teaching. But I want to be involved at a church where it says, God is really among you. Where people experience what Paul is saying there. God is among those people. God is there the love of God operating in supernatural ways. Paul ends this and we'll wrap up with this here. As he's talking about order, he talks about it in 29 through 31. Let's read this quickly and then we'll wrap up. Paul is giving them very practical instruction. He tells them what not to do and then he tells them what to do. And he says, let's read uh, 26 through 31. Paul says, what should we do then? My friends, if you come together, each person has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. There's that word again: upbuilding, building up, edifying. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or three at the most, and each turn and let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let them be silent in church. Speak to themselves and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to someone else sitting nearby, let the first person be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And then he roots all of it in the character of God. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace." So Paul is laying the ground rules here so that everyone can play. Everyone can participate. And it seems a little strange to think that the church would gather together and they would all speak in tongues and they wouldn't defer to one another. That people were coming with prophetic words and speaking over each other and they didn't have mics then, but they would have been grabbing the mic from one another and trying to speak out and Paul is saying, be respectful. Everyone gets to participate, but organize it. Do it in a way that's respectful to you as the believers and respectful and followable for the outsiders. And then he says, as each person is speaking, let the others judge and discern and make sure that it's in line with the teachings of Scripture. Romans 12, 6, he talks about that. And then finally he says, for the people that are doing this, whether you're speaking in tongues or speaking prophetically, you actually can control yourself. And they probably would have said, well, we're not used to that. We're used to being filled with the spirit of ecstasy and belting out. And Paul says, you actually can control yourself versus the frenzied pagan cults. And then Paul says, all of this, the gifts are rooted in the love of God, but they're rooted in the peace of God. That God is not a God of disorder and chaos, but a God of shalom, So as we practice the gifts together, the love and peace of God should prevail. We respect one another. There's many things in this passage I can't address here. We'll have to come back and look at them. There's 40 verses. But my intent is for us to think about the gifts moving forward. Do they promote love? Every time we do it, we want to make sure that our hearts are in a place of love. In our groups, our small groups, outside the walls of the church, am I moving in the gifts in a way that promotes the love of God? And secondly, am I doing it in a way that's understandable? Am I avoiding weirdness for strangeness sake? And then am I doing it in a way that reflects the God of peace? Is it orderly and great fruit occurs when this happens? I'm just going to take a moment here and... Lord, I want to. We're in your presence here. We gather in your presence. God is really among us. And so I'm just going to ask just to take a minute here. If you want the Lord to stir up the spiritual gifts in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you're not in that place or you're a visitor, an outsider, that's fine. And Lord, I ask that as a community, as a church, that you would stir up the gifts of God among us. Lord, I pray for fresh anointing, fresh empowering, fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit on each person here. I pray for an outpouring of the love of God into our hearts. And an outpouring of the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would wake us up today as a church, as a community. That we would pursue love and desire earnestly spiritual gifts as the Apostle teaches. And Lord, I ask for breakthrough today. that you would begin to unfold things among us that show the world God is really among us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.